Have you or anyone you know ever been emotionally destroyed by a book? Have you ever got the feels for a fictional character? Have you ever been hungover by an all-night book binge? Then pull up a seat, pour yourself a glass, and hang on to your Kindle. This is Drinking Ink. Hey friends, Rebecca here. Before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to drop in with a note on our content. While books are for everyone, this podcast was created for adult audiences only. Listener and reader discretion is advised, as we sometimes dive into difficult and triggering content such as graphic depictions of violence, frank portrayal of sexuality, discussion of mental illness, and existential struggle, and on occasion some downright filthy language. It might be a lot to take in, so if you need a breather, take a break and come back later. We'll be here for you. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of Drinking Ink. <laughs> Rebecca <laughs> makes me say this every single time now. It's become a bit of a thing. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's you can't not say it now. Right? It's become a thing. We're three seasons in at this point. It just got to accept it. This week, I'm really excited because we're diving back into our monster romance flavor du jour, uh, which is Gargoyles which is making my heart just go all sorts of things. Uh, and we are really, really excited to chat with the author of Titan, a gargoyle daddy doll monster romance, Jillian Graves. Thank you for being here. So much for having me. <laughs> so before we jump into the big questions, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell our listeners who you are, what you like to do. Just give them a little, little taste of who you are. Sure. Um, Jillian Graves. I live in Los Angeles with my my two cats and my boyfriend. Um, I've been writing, well, I've been writing for much longer than I've been publishing since I've only been published for about a year now. Um, I, my other job that is not writing is I work in film and TV on the costume side of things. Um, and so I spend my days either making costumes or, or writing. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. That sounds really exciting, the costume side of film and television. I think I, I'm a big fan of cosplay and like I just I, to do that full time, that must be really interesting in like what you get to see kind of a behind the scenes, but like the level of detail and work that goes into creating some of the set and props and costume pieces must be just really cool. Yeah, it's it's really fun to well, it's fun to see. Uh, not always fun to work on. <laughs> it's sometimes very very stressful. Um, so uh, you know, a, a big thing that's going on right now is the writer strike. So um, right now, I'm full time author because that's all I can be. Um, but uh, no, it, it's definitely like just a lot of people who are really talented and getting to see how they do what they do. It's it's like very inspiring to be around. That is that is so awesome. I have a question about Titan, and I asked this um, in another podcast interview that we did because I get major vibes. Is Titan like an AU Goliath from like the '90s TV show? Because um, that's the vibe. <laughs> vibe, and I want you to feel that vibe. So that is, you're definitely on onto it. Um, it's not like a direct, you know, um, 
like fan fiction. Like it's not uh, directly that. Um, but like, there's no way I started rewatching um, Gargoyles on Disney plus and like from episode one, he is a romance hero. Like oh, yeah. there, there's no doubt about it. Like him and um, oh, I'm forgetting her name right now. Elena, I think her oh, name yes. is. Is Elena or Elisa? Oh, it's Elisa. It's Elisa. Elisa, like, from the beginning, the first time he catches her, like, there's just no way you don't. Ugh, like, I just want to always read, like, whatever that feeling it gives me, I want to write it and I want to read it. Um, So you are definitely on track. I would say that, like, I feel like my uh, influences are really obvious in everything that I write, (laughs) being late 90s, early 2000s, like, Buffy, Angel, uh, Charmed, uh, Gargoyles, um, like uh, Practical Magic, like all these sort of um, things that influenced me when I was like growing up are are pretty much there. So if anyone points it out, I'm like, yeah. I mean, even if it wasn't directly like, yeah, it's it's pretty much going to be there. (laughs) Well, I love that. It's great. Even if someone's younger, I think it's great. Thank you. Well, that's, I mean, that's our era. I mean, it's weird to think about those things as being like, I think what, what was that? I saw a couple of TikToks the other day of like bands that were considered like dad rock now, like <laughs> Slipknot. And I was like, excuse me, what? And so it's, it's wild to think that some of these things that are like cultural touchstones in our lives, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I remember watching Charmed and like, I was obsessed with Gargoyles and like those things are now I don't want to say they're not vintage. I will not say vintage. No, <laughs> but- I- Vintage is 50 years back, so we, we still got time. Yeah. They're not quite vintage, but they're, like, nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're sort of, they're like, yeah. poignant. And so, I don't know, I just, it, it's really, I, I find it really comforting when I come across these types of things and in the, in the things that I consume in media and fiction and stuff like that. So, immediately, that was the vibe I got, and I was like, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> So I'm just curious, because I know you talked about having another career. So was like writing always like the plan that you had? Like, did you always want to become an author or was this something like, was it kind of like a spread moment plan? Like how did that Um, come to, to be? Writing itself was not, but writing monster was. So I started reading romance novels. Like I was a voracious reader, like anything I could get my hands on um, from very young. And I think in maybe middle school, beginning of high school, uh, one of my friends had an aunt who wrote romance. And I was just like, oh, that'd be so cool to read a book where I kind of know the person who wrote it. I mean, I never met her aunt, but like, you know, that was like as close as I've ever gotten to an author at that point. So I was like, oh, that'd be cool. And so I read her books and then it became this thing between me and a couple of my friends that we just traded romance novels. And that was all through high school. And I remember at some point, I'm a big fan of making lists. Um, I like made a list of things that I wanted to do in my life. And I was like, I want to write a romance novel. And that's like all, it was was just like a goal some point in my life one book and I could be happy um and then did a whole bunch of other stuff went to school for theater design uh lived in some other places came back to LA uh worked in the industry for a while and there was a period of time where I was like 
I don't, don't know if this is what I want to do forever. I have a big thing where I like look at, at people who are at kind of like the top of their game in the industry. And I'm like, is that the life that I want? And I sort of realized it wasn't. Um, and without any idea of like what to do next, I kind of like looked at my list of things that I wanted to accomplish. And I was like, maybe I should like really take this time to write. And that was around uh, 2016, 2017, maybe. And that was like right when the Ripped Bodice opened, which is the romance bookstore in Culver City. Um, and I, like, for whatever reason, it like all came together to inspire me to like start pursuing that. I took classes at the uh, Ripped Bodice. I met my writers groups there. Um, but I started writing, I think what would be more like considered urban fantasy, paranormal than monster. Um, I was pursuing that for a long time. And then at a certain point, it became really important to me to be traditionally published. Like that was in my mind, like I want to be traditionally published um, because I don't come from a writing background, like a, an academic background with that. Like there's a lot of sort of wanting that stamp of approval of someone saying like, you're good enough. So I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. So then I started writing contemporary and while I was happy with what I was writing, it was so painful to write. Like it was so hard um, because I was very much like I would just keep going back to this idea that this is a real life. People have to have real responses. If a man acts like this in real life, he's I have my own experience with men. I know how those men act. This is how it's going to go. And so I kept having to rein myself in and I kept having to um, sort of go over everything with a fine tooth comb to make it feel real. Now, I don't think that's how like every contemporary romance has to be written. I've certainly read plenty that aren't really focused on being accurate and that's, they're fun, but I just, for whatever reason, I couldn't do that. Um, so a friend brought up a, like a few years ago, there was a big monster anthology, like one of the first ones someone was trying to put together and, or like in this sort of more popular era of monster romances was trying to put together. And she was like, you should do this. And that was where I wrote a short story that, Ended up now it's in the Monsters in Love anthology that came out in March. Um, first time writing Gargoyles. Um, first time just like letting myself go completely. And I just had so much fun writing it. I wrote it so much faster than I was writing the contemporary. And I was like, oh, this is this is what I should be writing. This was actually enjoyable for me and didn't feel like pulling teeth. Um, and, and with that came the realization that you don't, you don't have traditionally published monster romances. Certainly at the time we might be getting in that era now. Um, so I kind of accepted that and was like, I rather enjoy myself and get to really play into the extremes that I want to. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what started, that's what started Titan. Yeah. 
No, I love that. Like, I think it's, it's great. Like it's, it's, it's good that you're able to find like a balance for you because yeah, like writing isn't supposed to, isn't supposed to be something that actually really takes a lot of effort, but it should be something that comes naturally. So like that, I mean, it's amazing that you're able to find like a niche that worked well for you because not everyone can do that. Well, I should say it's still uh, a lot of work. <laughs> I still, yeah. Yeah, like, still uh, painful, but painful in a way that like, I know I'll get to the other side of it. You know what exactly. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like a good it's, uh, I was going to say, it's like the, the pleasurable kind of pain where it feels yeah. you're like, I, I'm enjoying this. It's uncomfortable, but I'm enjoying it still nonetheless. Yeah, there's a reason I write kink. So, yeah. Something good's going to come out. Had you read Monster Romance before you decided to start writing it? Or was it just the suggestion of your friend that had you going, this is an interesting genre I want to explore? Um, I read a lot of like paranormal was my favorite genre to read. So, I mean, where you consider the level between like all monster romance to me is paranormal romance. Not all paranormal romance is monster. Um, depending on how you like to divide it. So I don't think I read anything that would be considered like monster, monster romance. I read aliens, which I think you could consider monster. I, I kind of lump it in with it. It's not human, you know? And they're not, so like I had, at that point I had already read Ice Planet Barbarians. Um, I was a huge fan of like Cresley Cole's Immortals After Dark. So who are, who are very humanoid, but like have monster tendencies and elements to them. Um, so... But not like, I would say, straight monster romance. I really didn't until I sort of dove into it at first. And I have a big thing where I don't read any gargoyle romance because I'm writing it, so I can't read it. So I've literally never read another gargoyle romance. So, um, yeah. I have a list, though, that I keep that I get to read once I feel confident uh, with my series and maybe when the series is done uh, that I'll read because I would love to, but I, it's just my own sort of... Um, discomfort of, of worrying that like things will get into my head too much so I can't read them well I think that's fair I think that's a common feeling that a lot of authors do have there are many authors that don't read inside their genre while they're working on it in uh, in an effort to kind of stave off that bleed through mm -hmm. of what you're reading kind of showing up in your work so I think that that's uh it's unfortunate because you're missing out on a lot of really great romance <laughs> right now but I understand completely where that where you're coming from on that it's 100 percent I'll, I'll read other monsters like that. I don't have a problem. Like I've read um, Lillian Lark's uh, Kraken book, and then I couldn't read the Gargoyle one. Uh, I've read, uh, I love Katie Robert, and I've read a lot of her books just in general, but I've just finished her Dragon one. Again, we'll have to, and I'll read the Kraken one, but I'll have to skip over the Gargoyle one. And it's just, it is what it is. What's your favorite other Krypton? than gargoyles oh you mean just like in general oh that okay that is difficult um because i feel okay so i feel like i can give you a, a, a genre of cryptid that i like like i tend to be more in the warm and hairy variety of cryptid um so like anytime someone's like okay here's like a 
Bigfoot or um, Abominable Snowman or I think a Mothman can work in that. Um, I go more that direction than like Naga, Slimy, Scaly. I like dragons. So, but I do, I do think like I'm just personally drawn towards it. Mostly because I think that I'm tired all the time and the idea of like some a creature that is like warm and cozy is very appealing to me <laughs> i mean you're not wrong yeah not so wrong. i think i go that direction that being said i just wrote a short for another anthology that had um i'm going to say it wrong so i'm not even going to attempt it but it's essentially like half man half octopus so he's got all the tentacles and stuff and that was really fun because i also wrote him as a daddy dom too um because he's got so many limbs to use and that's a lot of fun to play with all the more hands to spank you with right exactly (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh um i have to ask because i was looking at all of your cover art and i mean it's very consistent the person who does your art but like who are they? Because it is incredible. Like the, they, they do such a really good job of this. I don't want to say anthropomorphizing, but it's like they're, there's a realism. I know it's like they're, they're hand-drawn cartoon style, um, covers but they're just there's something that's so compelling about them i just kind of like want to print them in large size and like put them up on the wall as posters i do too (laughs) Um, so skelly frankie is the one who does um who did blood moon and who did titan as and she's doing all of the um uh, romancing his stone series like uh and then i have I think I, I posted the the cover that I have for the shorts, um, which I just have one, which is the other gargoyle one, um, which is the stone and the star. And then I'll have the half man, half octopus one coming out that I, she's like literally meant to send me the final image today. So I'm very excited for it. And that is from Phantom Dame. Um, so a, one I love working with artists in general. I have, it's something that like is my favorite part of getting to be an author. And I think because I come from the design world, I feel like I know what I'm looking for in an artist. And a big thing is if they can show connection, like an emotional connection between the characters to me more than anything, like accuracy or anything like that that is like what draws me into a book cover um a lot of the references that i send the artists are from like bodice ripper clinch covers because i think that's what they did such a good job of is having this really dynamic image of the characters like connecting with each other and so that's always like my reference point to them and I looked for artists who were already delivering that like Skelly Frankie does such an amazing job um, with that to begin with that. I was like, okay, I know I can just hand it off to her and she's going to knock it out of the park. And every time she has, um, I don't know. At some point soon, I'll be posting the Rook cover to like everyone. And she killed it with that one too. 
Oh, I can't wait. You're right. There is, it, it's that connection between the characters. Like you can feel that it's like a tangible thing when mm-hmm. you're looking at the picture, which I, I never really associated that with the, like the, the old Harlequin, like flowy shirt, Fabio model <laughs> styles, but you're right. They're as ridiculous as the cover might have been, you know, ship burning in the background, may his house on fire. Um, there was always just this like intense, deep, like passionate connection between the, the actors on the cover that was just so artfully, um, artfully conveyed in in the picture the final image and i it's it's interesting that would not have been something that i would have looked for first if i were looking for a cover artist so i just find it interesting that that's the first thing that you look for and and, i mean obviously skelly's done a wonderful job because your covers are beautiful (laughs) yeah would you ever want to see Titan or the whole series become either a movie or a TV series? Yes, I would love that. I, <laughs> but do I ever think it will happen? Uh, no. Um, it's so funny that you brought it up because I have a, my, my coworkers who are very kind and very supportive. And even though I never meant for them to find out the name of my book, they found it out. And I came, I came back from like I, I took the day off for Titans release and then the next day I came back to work and they had cupcakes out for me in a shape of a dick. Um, and <laughs> oh, those are the best friends ever. And, you know, they're like, Oh, we want to buy your book. And I was like, you really don't need to do that. Um, they did it anyways. And they, they read it. And, but the, I only work with so many men, but one of the guys who I work with, uh, he was like, you know, you're, they, they make some pretty spicy stuff on Netflix. They could make your book. And I go, you haven't read it. I don't know how spicy it gets. And he goes, no, no, they have, I've seen some anime that's pretty, I go, yeah, I've I've probably seen some of the same stuff. And I'm telling you, if we're going to get like the full, detail like I don't experience experience. (laughs) that being said like I do think dream world what you know whatever I think it has to be animated like I think there's no way in my mind it can't be like a guy in like a uh you know a latex suit (laughs) cgi animated and also because for the same reasons that i think the covers work is like with animation you can really have that really strong connection between the characters you can like there's this heightened um imagery that you can have with animation that you can't have with people or or it's harder to do yeah that's true so if you would wanted to do it from an um an animated perspective, have you thought about who you would want to be the voice actors for? Oh, um, I mean, other than having the original voice actor for Goliath, who's, (laughs) why am I forgetting it right now? I have this image in his head. He was on community. Um, he would be great for it. But, uh, the, I mean, I feel like the voice actors who I had for the audio book, what was that? Was that Chevy Chase? No, no, no. No, okay. (laughs) um it was oh i'm gonna i'm gonna look it up while i'm still talking but the troy Durden did the he was titan and kelsey navarro was uh jules and 
Troy did such a good job because I literally, I sent him everything that I liked about Goliath. And like I said, I like this voice actor. I like what he does with it. Like, so if you can channel him, um, who I'm going to look up right now, uh, that is what I'm aiming for. And I think he did a really good job with it. So I wouldn't hate, um, him doing it, but there's no, Oh, Keith David. There we go. Keith David was, uh, the voice actor for Goliath. Um, so he, yeah, I wouldn't mind. Um, my, my partner, he used to be a comic book illustrator and, um, did some stuff with like animators and things like that. And so we actually spend a lot of time going over voice actors and who, you know, who he knows in the industry and and likes and, and their, um, who would be right for the parts. So I think, I think I would probably run it past him and see if he has any, any gems that I, I can't think of. That's pretty cool. Um, your, you said your partner is in the comic book illustration or was in comic book illustration. Do you think that there's maybe the, a chance in the future near or not to have like an, uh, graphic novel version or like an adult graphic novel version? I know those exist for, for some mediums. Yeah. Um, I, that would be amazing. Um, and if you haven't checked out, so this is the one gargoyle thing I looked at briefly and then stopped because I was worried about it influencing me in any way. Um, oh, I'm going to forget the name, but the, I forgot the name of the artist. Uh, but I do think this artist does some work for CM Nacosta. Um, and they have a web comic called Ant. <laughs> Antonom, Antonom. Um, hopefully I can just send you the name and we can put it somewhere correct. Um, and she has a gargoyle, um, uh, web comic that is pretty gorgeous. Um, that I think has to do like, if, if I remember correct, like it's mostly in a church and, um, if you're into sort of some sacrilegious imagery, um, you might enjoy it. Uh, but I also try not to look at that other than the beautiful imagery, I don't really read the story um, for the same reason I said before. But I would love, love any more illustrations. I'm, I'm very happy with. I, I have to actually like stop myself from getting more because any excuse. Uh, I had like the one year, <laughs> one year of Titan coming out, and I was like, okay, so I need to get um, more NSFW artwork. And so, yeah. We know all about that, right, don't we, Becca? I think uh, right when Ice Planet Barbarians started getting the trad push, um, uh, there was like a whole bunch of fan art that was like exploding because it was really huge on Book Talk and people were losing their minds. And uh, I think Becca can't really see them very well from from our perspective but becca has a whole wall dedicated to uh those big blue guys yeah i have i have a wall of naked i have all i have the entire sakui tribe (laughs) naked on my wall i also have the nsfw artwork that you just released like it was the last week in your newsletter (laughs) it came in and i was like yes please (laughs) Good. I'm glad. I'm also just like, I wanted an excuse because that's my favorite scene. So um, I was just like, okay, this is my excuse to put it, put it out there. Um, it was like, people enjoyed it. it was like slyly kind of like scandalous too. Cause I like first just glanced at it and I was like, oh, that's good. And it wasn't until I came back later that I like 
noticed everything going you on saw stuff under the bubbles yeah yeah i finally saw under the water because you're like oh there's a dirtier version i'm like oh this one's not that dirty and then i really looked and i was like oh i get it now <laughs> <laughs> oh. so i'm curious to know when it comes to like how you plan out these stories are you more of like a like a, do you plan them or is it more like you like you just do it off the seat of your pants or are you kind of like a mixture Uh, i'm definitely uh i think what do they call it a planter like where it's the the combo between plotting and pantsing um because i feel like I, if I wanted to, uh, so the way I used to write is I would do NaNoWriMo and I would write 50,000 words in a month. And then I would never look at those words. And then I would actually start the book. Um, and I do not have time for that. <laughs> so I have to do more plotting. So, and, and I, especially with this series, which has interconnected stories, uh, interconnected plot line there's more plotting to it. Um, but I have to also like leave some space for the characters to sort of reveal themselves. So, so it's a combination. Um, I, I think whenever I get stuck with one thing, so if I get stuck on plotting and I'm not sure what to do, I then go to just writing an, a part of the story that I do know. And usually in writing it, I'm able to like figure out what I was stuck on with the plot. And then when I'm writing something and I start getting stuck on wherever I was going, I take a moment and step back and try to plot out some more. And that helps me too. So it, it helps me to go back and forth between the two, but, uh, like each book in the series has required more plotting at the beginning to make sure I'm, you know, hitting all the plot points I need to hit. So I imagine it'll be a little bit more as I go along, but it's always going to be a combo, I think. What was your favorite part in the writing process of writing Titan? Like from the outlining, was it the character dynamics? Was it the world building? Like what was, what was the thing that you really found the most enjoyable when you were putting the book together? Um, there's a lot of parts that I enjoy. I actually really love the editing stage, which I know is a lot of people's least favorite, but to me, that's always when it feels like it all clicks into place. Um, but one of my favorite parts is at the very beginning, um, like the first way that I figure out my characters, especially because in everything I'm writing, kink is pretty, um, dominant, uh, is, figuring out how I want my characters to work together, uh, sexually, like in intimate relationships. Um, because I feel like I want my characters to be able to do kinky things and feel like they can trust each other from the get go. So even if they're like a one night stand, they can still trust each other on the first night. And so a lot of that, a lot of figuring out what their turn-ons are and how they fit together is me realizing how they fit together as a couple in general. So I, I almost want their like their sex life to make sense before their romantic life <laughs> as like a hint for how they actually fit together later on. Um, 
so that that's really fun for me is, is sort of figuring out in, in, in the way that I'm just always interested in that. Like, that's why I like reading pretty, um, you know, either like erotic romance or erotica is I like understanding why people are into what they're into. And at the very beginning, that's what I just get to focus on and think about and then sort of allow the, uh, allow the story to come out of that. So that even before I have like what the story is, I have that aspect and that's really fun. So in the same vein, being that you are kind of like a planter, do you write chronologically or do you start more from like those core scenes of the couples maybe coming together and building off of that? Or like you have your outline and you kind of just work chronologically to kind of build the story framework that way? Uh, Mostly chronologically. um, I will, as little bits and pieces come into my head, I'll like, you know, jot them down, um, for wherever I think they're going to go. But I I always want like the story to build off of each other. So the action that just happened, it it builds off itself. Um, so if I don't have that sort of like building action, I sort of feel like what I'm writing, like if I'm writing a scene from the middle of the book, it feels a little bit like it's floating and not grounded enough in their character arcs in the story arc, whatever. Um, so I like at least attempting to do it in a chronological manner. Cause then it lets me know how each scene is affected by the scene that happens before it. That makes sense. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I know some people like to, to write out of sequence and they like to write scene based. And I just, um, it sounded like the way you were describing how you really kind of envision your characters, um, sexual relationship and how like their, their connection, maybe, uh, you work the same way, but chronologically is how I write. I, I don't, I think you don't write chronologically. Do you Becca? Yeah, but my, I'm a total pantser. Like I have a thought <laughs> and a book just evolves, but like when I get to that point where I'm stuck, I do also do that thing of like, well, I'm going to leave this scene here and keep moving on. Cause usually I have an idea of where we're going. Um, I'll literally just like get to the end of a line and then I'll be like, add more and just continue on. (laughs) I I should say that like, I don't, when I'm going chronological, it doesn't mean that I perfect that scene. It's just, I get enough down that I'm like, okay, this feels right. I've, I've exhausted what I could put, what I know to put here and I feel ready to move on to the next thing. So I I definitely am not like finishing (laughs) each chapter before I get the next one. I have to go back a lot. I usually have like 10, 12 drafts. Like I have a lot of drafts. Chronological just makes the most sense to me when I'm writing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so in a recent Instagram post, you mentioned that sometimes when you're writing the spicier scenes, you will intentionally choose words that kind of give you a little bit of the ache because it mm-hmm. makes it hotter. Mm-hmm. And you also said that you wouldn't explain, but I'm hoping uh, if you're not willing to explain, maybe you could elaborate a little bit on the choice because that's so that's interesting. That's, I, I, I was like, oh, I never thought about it like that. <laughs> um, 
I have no problem actually explaining it. Um, especially because I saw, I had people respond to me and suggest other things. And I go, no, it's not that. No, it's not this. Um, so I had people say, oh, you mean like the word gives you the ick, but you know, it doesn't give your readers the ick. So you use it. And I was like, nope, that's not it. Um, someone said, uh, is it when you, you're now so used to writing spicy scenes that those things no longer give you the ick? No, I mean, that happens, but that's not what I'm talking about. Um, someone else said, is it when, um, uh, you have a hero say something in a book that you find hot in a book, but you would never like a man to say to you in real life. That's also true, but that's not what it is. Um, so the, I have two words that I think are the easiest for me to explain it, which is panties and milking. So, immediately panties is not a word choice that I use in real life. If I'm talking about my underwear, I say underwear, or I might like describe the type of underwear they are, if that's important to why I'm talking about my underwear. (laughs) Um, Because inherently like there's, I feel pervy saying panties. I feel like even just how I'm saying it, I am uncomfortable, but that pervy like feeling is what I want you to feel when you're reading like a hot sex scene, like in the way that like, I think good sex allows people like when you are with someone you trust, whatever that means to you, um, you can explore things that you are not otherwise comfortable exploring. You can do with someone else who you feel comfortable with and you can sort of do things that on the outside, like if you were to look at yourself, you'd be like, okay, this isn't the most attractive thing, but in the moment feels right, feels good. That's why the word panties to me makes sense in a sexual context is because it is a pervy feeling word. And I want you to feel that way when you're reading it. So it, it doesn't change that feeling at all, like from seeing it in real life or reading it in a book. It's just in this scene, in this book, I want you to experience that. And, you know, people have different relationships with that word, so they might not even think twice about it. I can kind of only read from my own experience with those terms. Um, So, yeah. And then with milking, I find a lot of the words that I feel an ick with in real life. Well, I feel them both is that they're kind of very graphic in what they are describing. So milking tells you exactly what's happening and exactly the results you're trying to get from that action. Yeah. (laughs) Which is why saying it in real life feels like too much, right? Like you're like, okay, that that's a lot. If I were to say that in real life, not judging anyone who does say it in real life, go for it, have fun. Um, And in fact, like, in a sexual situation that might be perfectly fine and enjoyable, but it's not something I'm normally talking to people about. Um, but in a sex scene, when I'm writing it, it is a one word, one word description of the action that tells you exactly what's happening. And so that sort of too much graphicness in the real life. I want that too much graphicness when describing like when using it in a sex scene hopefully that makes sense hopefully i think that's like my best explanation for it is to like give uh examples of it because i think like there's things that when you are fully comfortable with 
yourself or with other people in a sexual situation that you're like, okay, I don't, I don't mind doing these things. I don't mind going there, but you know, you're not maybe necessarily so comfortable talking about it or, or going there in the hypothetical, like you have to be in the moment that you're with people you trust that you then feel comfortable going there. Hopefully that makes sense. No, no, it makes perfect sense. I, I ask because there are certain words when I'm reading that give me like the ick, but also like a little hot under the collar where I'm like, I hate like, and it's, it, this is one that's kind of it's silly because it's in almost every spicy book ever but like the word pussy to me gives me a little bit of the like (laughs) (laughs) that is the word when i'm writing spicy stuff i cannot stand that word i will write it all the time because like it's expected in what you're writing but like on a day-to-day basis no i can't stand that word i feel like i just I don't know. But it also, like, for me, it gives me that, like, a little bit of the, like, ooh, okay, I need to, like, (laughs) settle down as much as I'm, like, am I, it's, I have to kind of, like, am I icked or am I, like, not icked? It's, Mm -hmm. like, I don't, mm, because that's not a word that I would say in real life to someone. But, like, to me, that's part of it, right? It's, like, it is a word that you are only going to use in this like heightened sexual context so it's immediately taking you there it's almost like this pavlovian response to it that you're like okay this is too much but here it's like this little trigger for you or i mean maybe not for you but it can be a trigger for someone to be like ah now i'm completely in this space because that's the only place that i am accepting of this word um but yeah and i also think like maybe this goes back to kink too that there's something especially if you play with like degradation in romance, like using those terms and, and purposely causing someone to have a little bit of an ick is a, is a little bit of degradation thrown in there, you know, like, I mean, maybe from the author to the reader, but like, but I say, if that's what you want your characters to do, then it's like, okay, then, then maybe some of those word choices make sense. I think that's really smart as an author. Like that's, it's these little nuances that, uh, as a reader, you don't really pick up on, um, until you hear the someone else talk about their process. And I just, I find that so fascinating. And I, I mean, I laughed when I saw your post about it. Cause I was like, <laughs> I thought it was really funny, but then I was like, I'm re- actually, I'm really curious as to why you do that. And it, it is, it is really intriguing and a, and a completely different way for me to like now interpret some of the fiction that I'm reading, which I appreciate. So thank you for that. Yeah. I, I like really like talking about writing spicy scenes, writing sex scenes, because I think it's really, I mean, I hate saying this, but I think we're in a safe place here of like, I think it's telling of the person who's writing it based on what they choose or what they don't choose. Or, um, I was just reading. Okay. So I've read two, um, Hugh Cow books. Do you guys no, he that was a new yeah, term. Hugh Cow. You've read Hugh okay. Cow, haven't you? Oh, I call it Huckow. Uh, oh, <laughs> I mean I don't, I don't know what the proper pronunciation is. I'm in Mississippi. I say Huckow. <laughs> I'm new to it, so I probably have the wrong pronunciation of it. So I've only read two uh how did you pronounce it? Huckow? 
huh cow like humans so i'm like okay so huh cow huh cow okay huh cow i've read only two and um one i'd have to look up the authors but um i think i just posted about it anyways uh they their word choices were different and for like teats or versus utters and I was really curious like I like trying to understand why someone would choose one over the other like what what they focus on one really focused on milk itself as like a huge part of it one was much more on the like the ritual of being milked and so that always is interesting to me of like why someone would choose to focus on one or the other um like I love any author who spends a lot of time on um like the ritual of sex the ritual like the uh, I was I was listening to Sierra Simone's um interview interview you guys did with her where she talks about like ritual and intention and to me which is part of why I love her writing um I'm always sort of drawn to authors who spend a lot of time I don't know infusing their their intimate scenes with ritual um so yeah, I don't know. I always find it interesting why people choose what they choose. I think that's cool. Like I, I appreciate that you you recognize the that you see the ritual piece. For me as a reader, I really enjoy that because there's almost it's an intention, right? Like mm-hmm. there's an intention taken, and in most stories, um, they're like when the couple comes together, there's this intention of like giving to each other what the other person needs, and it's like this. Um, Ah, ritual is the best word for it in terms of the the process of of creating that safe space and connection between each other really no i i think that's that's exactly it for me is it's because these two characters whether it is a one night stand or whether they're getting together for the like 10th time or whatever they are being intentional and creating a ritual to it. You see their trust. You see why they work together, why they like fit so well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do like always seeing that. So from one author to another, mm-hmm. I want to know if you had this experience too, uh, with your audiobook, hearing someone speak aloud those dirty scenes that you've only thus far had written in your head. You've read yourself, but you've never like heard someone else speak them. Did you cringe? I cringe every time. It's so weird. <laughs> uh, I have a complicated relationship with the term cringe. So what I will say is that I, uh, I blushed real hard, like real, real hard. And um, I love good voices. So it's just like the combination of a voice that I like specifically picked out and asked to be performed in a certain way. And then it's happening. And I'm, I'm, you know, at this point I have some distance on what I've written. So it it doesn't feel as, I don't feel so close to the words that I can't hear them as a, as a reader of it too, but it just, it's very intense is what I'll say. It's definitely intense and it's definitely like, uh, oh yeah, I I guess I did do that. I guess I did write that. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Those were my words. I didn't know. I forgot I wrote that. Um, (laughs) 
okay. And then realizing that you did send it to someone to have to read out loud like that, like having that full, <laughs> full circle moment of like someone had to sit down and read this. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. He like both those voice actors, like Kelsey and Troy, like just sat there read it and go, okay. And she's telling me how to deliver it. And now I'm going to deliver it that way. Like <laughs> it, it is a, a weird experience. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah. I feel like I can't even like listen to the, I have to listen to it in segments. I can't like sit there and listen to it how I would an actual audiobook. Maybe one day I'll be able to, but yeah. Same. I have, I had a, a spider audiobook, And so I had to like, it was definitely a first time experience. Like it was just an odd experience when I had to come up to somebody and be like, are you okay with reading spider erotica? Like, <laughs> do you mind? <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think when um, I was asked, uh, who like, who did I want for it? I was like, they have to be comfortable reading this kind of stuff. Like, I don't want, I have a friend who, um, she's an actress and she's, during the pandemic, started doing voice acting or, or like training to be able to do it. And she was like, can I read your book as like a as like something to, to just try out, to put in my, I, I don't know if it's called a reel for, for voice actors or, or what. Um, and I was like, I, I don't think you know what's in there. Like, I don't, are you wanting to read? Like, like, is that where you want your career to go? If it is, then sure. But if not, like, I don't, I don't know if this is your deal. Um, but I was like, here you go. Here it is. And then I don't think she ever did it. So I think that was my answer is that, uh, yeah, no, it wasn't up her alley. <laughs> so I'm curious to know. Um, so I noticed that like your, some of your female main characters are plus sized. So mm -hmm. was there an intentional, like, was that intentional or is there a reasoning behind that? Like, I think there's probably a deeper reason why all of them are really tall. Um, <laughs> they necessarily yeah. plus, plus size to me, it's just, it sort of just is like, that is the world. So why would I have like all my characters be thin and, and that feels very untrue to the world and also untrue to my experience as a plus size woman. Like, um, so, so it was intentional. I, I don't, I have actually like a lot of plus size characters coming up soon. Um, but it'll, it'll definitely switch back and forth. Um, just for a variety. Um, but I would say probably tall is, is more intentional. Than, and than I just, love that. Plus <laughs> is just like, of course we're doing plus. Like, that's not even a question. Yeah. Of course I am. And then tall, I was, I think I wrote, what was it? So I'm 5'11". Um, and I wrote my first, like, forever ago when I first started writing in like 2016 with intention and like you know, giving it to people to read. I was like, I made all my heroines short because I thought if I made them tall, it was going to be too much. Like I was going to be self-inserting too much. It was going to be too like, whatever. Um, and then I wrote, and then for whatever reason, I think just because I was like, let's have fun. That was my intention with Titan. Like, let me just write what'll give me joy. I was like, well, 
then she's going to be tall. Um, and then it just became that now everyone's tall. <laughs> I think the shortest I, I do blood moon and, um, what is Hazel's story and Hazel is six feet tall. Um, I also had, I have the first draft of Drew and a Violet story. Those were before Titan. And so Drew and Violet are shorter, but basically since Titan on everyone, I think the shortest person I have is five, seven coming up. And then everyone is like five, 11, six, six feet tall, six, two, like, <laughs> and that just became intentional because I was like, you know what? I don't actually see this anywhere else. And it's heavily unrepresented. I see this as a six foot tall, six foot two tall plus size woman that my whole life, every heroine in every book, whether she was plus size or not, was five, two, five, four, five foot, nothing, four foot. nothing, And it gave me a huge, like, I mean, we talk sometimes about being represented in fiction and like, I never went out with anyone that was shorter than me. Oh my God. Like it, boys didn't want to date me because I was this big tall monstrous Mm -hmm. Amazon right like it's and then some guys have that as a kink they do (laughs) but they're almost never the same height as you and they're always a fetish to try and climb you and it's you have to decide if you want to be a part of their kink or not like that I had the same same feeling because I realized that like there wasn't much plus size representation when I was growing up. And I remember, um, Oh, what was, there was this book that came out in I think early two thousands. I have a very clear memory of the cover, which is like a shoe and like cherries and, um, had a plus size heroine. And it felt like for a long time, even if I would see plus size characters in books, somehow their connection was always to food like they always mm. had a connection to some way. And That's so I had a little bit of a, like, I don't like in my brain, I was like, well, if I write plus size characters, I have to connect it to food in some way, because that seems to be what everyone does, even though that's not my life or my personal experience. Um, and then luckily over the years, that seems to people aren't doing that, which is nice. But I would always read, I could read plus size characters, but I couldn't read tall characters. They just didn't exist. And if they were plus size, they would always try to say, well, she's Kirby in the right places and she's like five feet tall. So she's not, so she's not petite in her waist size, but she is in her height. Like there was always some way to make the heroine small and like, fragile almost yeah. um, even, I as mean, some, even as someone who is because i'm plus size and i'm fine i'm barely five three and like becca can understand like being short and plus size um but like i've even found like i could never even fully relate to those plus size characters who were like short and plus size because they made them seem like like delicate little children i'm like no i'm like i like i've got scottish in my background like i'm a freaking like broad shouldered like I'm short, but I'm like, I am there. Like, you will notice me in that room kind of thing. And I never was able to connect to characters because they never really came across as that. Yeah, I 
I agree because it's always like some sort of they always have to find some way to to sort of like undercut any sort of strength or 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 power that character has in their body. Um, you know, I, and I say that like I'm writing very tall women with very even taller monsters. So there certainly is an aspect to what I write that wants to allow a six foot tall plus size woman to get to feel smaller with a partner. Um, but I do, what I do try to do is make sure that I, address that they are strong or like a big thing for me was in um the short story i wrote the stone in the star she's six two and she he keeps calling her little human and um at the end of that short she's like why are you calling me little i am six two i haul around 50 pounds of clay every day because she's a ceramic artist um like i am strong and capable and whatever and, and he goes you know i call you little because little things are precious and you are precious to me so you are little and to me that's what i want those characters to get to feel but i don't want to take away the fact that they are also she's a six foot two super strong woman who can easily throw around 50 pounds of clay in a day. Like, so I, I don't know, like I, I under, like I have a complicated relationship with being very happy, being a tall, larger woman and enjoying the strength of it, but also personally, as well as I want to read stories where their character gets to feel delicate sometimes too. Well, and I think that that's fair. I mean, when you're raised in a society that tells you that you don't fit, right, that you don't fit the standard, that to want to fit that standard in some small way, in, a, in, in one way or another, there's nothing wrong with wanting that. And I mean, I say this as someone who married a, a six foot six dude that, you know, for me was like, I was like, Oh my God, I finally found a guy taller than me. <laughs> like, sure. I'll go out on a date with him 10 years later. Um, <laughs> But I think that there's there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I I can understand how that is complicated because, I mean, they're, they're feelings that I have had a lot of my life, too. But it's I just love that there is we're starting to see more. I, I mean, I call it the Brienne of Tarth effect because yeah. with Game of Thrones, you know, Brienne of Tarth was this very larger than life woman in a male dominated field who was not afraid to be a badass and also was, you know, had her own little romantic arc, which she got robbed, my personal opinion. Yes, I, I hate agree. the way that that ended. <laughs> but makes I kind of call it the, the brand of Tarth effect in that we start seeing these taller, bigger, stronger women being really more represented in, in the fiction side of things, which is, is nice to see. Yeah, we were robbed with that ending. I was so mad. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, Jerry, what are you doing? <laughs> like you, had, you had this good thing going. Why did you screw it all up? Oh, gosh. Anyway, that's just me being me. So, biologist Becca, are you going to ask the question that... <laughs> oh, the other day, or no, it's probably maybe a month ago now. It was a minute ago. You, you had a post on Instagram where you were talking to your boyfriend about sea sponges and if it was ethical to, like, 
oh. wipes things off with them. And I just want to know what his response was. <laughs> oh, so he said no. Well, okay. So since then, I've heard many different responses. So uh, along with um, used to being a, a comic book artist, he uh, works with animals and, and we used to work with um, exotic animals. And uh, so I tend to ask him all my animal questions, which surprisingly come up a lot when talking about monsters. And, and sometimes it'll just be like, tell me where, what weird penises there are and let me figure out how to use them. Um, so with that one, he said it, it wouldn't, cause it is like a living organism organism. I was thinking it was a plant, which is probably stupid of me, but it is not, it is a living breathing organism. So it's probably not the most ethical thing to use a sea sponge as to clean up, um, without their consent. I did, however, get a lot of people saying that the, <laughs> that I should have these sea sponges, um, uh, you know, give their consent in some way, or, um, maybe they have developed, um, a taste for, uh, what they would be cleaning up. Um, <laughs> So if I was writing a longer story, that might be the direction I go. But I was like, you guys don't even know this isn't the epilogue. This is like a this is like I don't have I don't have space to write about how uh uh what was I using? I completely forgot now. Sea sponges have like developed a taste for cum. So I just don't have a taste for that. Um, but maybe next time. And then I had someone else, oh, I think I had like a marine biologist come in and say that like actually it would be okay to use because something about how they, um, I'd have to look it up, but something about how they like process things in their brain or their brain size, like it, it they wouldn't have an issue. So, um, I, I think I probably could have gone any way with it, but being that I didn't have a whole lot of space to explain, <laughs> I, <will. laughs> I was like, maybe, maybe another book, maybe I'll like, I try to like keep those like bits of information, like locked away somewhere. So that when it comes up, I can be like, okay, now we'll, now we'll see now if I can I know. <laughs> yeah. Now I know. Yeah, I can maybe use that. And, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but those are like i feel like those are the fun questions you get to ask as a, a monster romance author you get to be like okay what weird things happen in nature that i can sort of exploit for my <laughs> my romance novel <laughs> well so here as we get ready to wrap up what are you currently reading right now Okay, so I just finished Mountain Daddy's Milk and Honey, which is the Hugh Cow book. Um, before that, uh, and I very much enjoyed, though I think it went... I really don't like milk, so there was a lot of focus on drinking milk that I was just like... Okay, maybe not for me, um, but it would not if if you're wanting to explore Hugh Cow. Since we've talked about it, I've read that one, and then I read Sinister Angels, uh, his favorite Hugh Cow. Um, so those are my suggestions for Hugh Cow books if you're getting into them. Um, and then I also was looking for, I really wanted to read um, a sapphic 
book that had one of the heroines being called daddy. Like I was just wanting to see if that existed. And I read, um, don't stop me by Eden Emery, which is part of a trilogy, a sapphic trilogy that I believe all takes place in connection with a, um, a dungeon that is like, I think focused on like sapphic, uh, couples or, or, you know, relationships. Um, and that's like a dark mafia. She's with her ex-boyfriend's mom who she calls daddy. And that was, that was a fun read. And I really enjoyed that one because I did not know how she was going to end it and wrap it all up. And, uh, it was surprising in that way. So I was like, when uh, an author gives me characters that I'm not sure how they're going to, to make them work and how they're going to sort of give them their happily ever after. And they managed to do it. I love that. That's awesome. Now you have mentioned that, um, Rook is the next one in your Titan series, the Romancing His Stone. What can you tell us about the project? What can, what are you like, what kind of stage are you at right now when we're, you know, sitting down today? Uh, well, draft five. Um, so, (laughs) but I do a lot of drafts. Uh, so Rook was, has been a lot of fun because, uh, in the same way that I, went to my late nineties, early two thousand or mid nineties, early two thousands, uh, references for Titan. I kind of went back to the genre that I like started reading romance with, which was historicals and like really adventure historicals, um, where they're on the road and, um, some more like darker elements happen. I think this book is a little, a little darker than Titan, not a huge amount. Um, still has the suspense elements in it. And, uh, but I really got to play like there's primal kink in it. Cause it's Rook, a primal gargoyle romance, um, in a primal setting and get to let a gargoyle be his full, primal gargoyle self and that was a lot of fun to do and I got to kind of like call back to the things that I loved in like 80s 90s historicals um that were all a little batshit and intense and so so that was fun that was a little over the top but there's no problem with that and like you know I, I I like thinking of like what are those tropes or um, set pieces that I loved reading as a kid, um, in historicals, in, in those first romance novels and find a way to, to have my characters experience it and get to write it with a monster. And because so often those historicals, like the, they were human, yes, but they were monstrous humans. And now I get to do with an actual monster. So like, like, I love the, the historical <laughs> fiction Scottish ones. Oh, yeah, that's exciting. Those are, those are my, my, gem, my gem there. Oh, they're so pretty. If I can recommend, um, if you haven't, I mean, probably all the content warnings, um, especially for just general sexism, uh, Beatrice Small, like her historicals uh, are so ridiculous and fun um 
and those were definitely like an influence on on what I'm writing with Rook. So yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's so exciting. Well, I just, I wanted to say thank you again, Jillian, for sitting down to chat with us today. I, it's been a super fun conversation. You sound like a super fun human. I have just one tiny final question because you mentioned your two cats and your other human, uh, partner. And I just curious because your cat's names are Luna and Salem. So going back to that nostalgia, am I right in guessing, uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Sailor Moon. Yes, well, and my two cats before this were Gomez and Pugsley. So oh, um, I love it. <laughs> so it's been Gomez, Pugsley, then uh, Salem, and then Luna. Um, so yeah, they were originally all going to be Adam's family characters, but then we got. Uh, Salem, who's an orange cat with like three legs, and I was like, I can't think of any. He doesn't fit any of the Adams family characters like Gomez. He had, he was a little tuxedo cat. He made sense. Pugsley, a little striped cat made sense. Um, so then we, we diverted off, and, but you know, yeah, you are correct. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so three legged orange cat named Bilbo. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, everyone can post pictures of their cats and that would make me very happy. Right. Just send me all the pictures of your pets. Yeah. Just make, <laughs> just make my day. <laughs> so, uh, Jillian, tell everybody where they can find you online. If they want to follow your work, if they want to buy your books, which everyone should, you should all go and purchase Titan. I know that I have, and I can't, I actually haven't listened to the audiobook yet. I like to read first and then I do the audiobook. So I'm really excited to dive into the audiobook. And, uh, yeah, let us know where everyone can find you. Sure. Um, so I'm most up to date, like on my website, I think, uh, which is jilliangraves.com. Um, you can always find me on Instagram and Twitter at uh, Dame with a pen or on TikTok at Jillian Graves author. Um, I have a backup that's author Jillian Graves, which was very confusing for me to make. So go to Jillian Graves author. Um, and check out my newsletter. Cause that's where I send a lot. If you sign up for it, you get sent like a link to all the NSFW artwork right away. <laughs> um, and I'm always love an excuse to send people more, more sexy artwork. So those are yeah where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for sitting down and chatting with us. I, this has been so much fun and I just really appreciate it. I cannot wait, cannot wait to read Rook. And I think it's, I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. Want more from the bookish bitches? Follow us on TikTok at drinking ink pod official for updates regarding our newest episodes, releases, and behind the scenes chaos or send us an email at drinkinginkpodcast at gmail.com you can find us on all streaming platforms like amazon music apple Podcasts, and spotify you can also follow our hosts on their personal accounts located in the show notes along with recommended reading lists and all the books we mentioned in today's episode stay thirsty friends